<laughs> a little behind the scenes, y'all. Brittany's having a terrible day. It's been a day. It has been a day in reality television, which is what yes. we're going to talk about today. I feel like if we were releasing this way down the road, you could have like filled us in on all the juicy details that we talked about before we started. Recording. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't talk and, about it uh, right now. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. We're not talking about anything. Nothing. On that note. <laughs> yeah. On that note, welcome to What the Hell. It's been a week of, you know, just another week at home. It's been another week at home is what it's been. <laughs> or as I like to call it, Paradise paradise oh we're, we're being optimistic today <laughs> no we're being sarcastic yeah <laughs> i know what sarcasm is even though donald trump does not is it donald trump or is it the rest of the world that does not i don't know no he's such a liar i mean whatever. no i agree i agree he, like he tried to say the whole inject your body with a uh, bleach thing the other day with him being sarcastic but he told the world a day later than he said it yeah, I and feel like it's, yeah. It's not how sarcasm works. No, and obviously, like, he's trying to backpedal, but also anybody, I'm going to get people mad saying this, but, like, anybody that actually thinks he wants us to inject bleach into our bodies, like, come on. Like, I don't like Donald Trump. Don't. I don't <laughs> like him. But, like, he's also not completely stupid, and I can see Yeah, how... you can't be and get that far. Yeah, and, like... He's just, he's a terrible public speaker, and, like, you can just see him stumbling over everything he says, and I'm like, the moment it was heading that direction, I was like, this is going to be entertaining as hell, Oh yeah, and everybody's going to take it whatever which way, so I just, I think it's stupid. I think the whole situation was stupid, but... Yeah, an absolute riot. Can we please have t-shirts made that simply say, I don't like Donald Trump? <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> just that it's a yeah. simple statement yeah I'll, yeah i could get behind that it's hey you know what guys we're starting our merch today and uh <laughs> we're not even we'll political and here one. we are <laughs> we're making a political statement yeah oh man so wow <laughs> how's your week been <laughs> um mine mine has been fine like good adjacent Good adjacent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's been fine. It's just been fine. It's just been solid. Um, I, I saw this really interesting article that um, I read its headline and its deck. So like those three little sentences like right under yeah. the headline. And it basically, I think it was Vulture. It might have been Variety. But it said, um, you, it said, you will not remember what living through a pandemic was like. Mm. And it was really interesting. It was talking about the capacity for the human brain basically to forget and, and like we're just going to forget this whole time. No, not like you're going to forget that it happened, but you won't be able to grasp the details of isolation in the way that we are living it right now. Like it'll never seem yeah. as bad later as it that was. That makes sense. Yeah. You know. We it, might it, look like, at it more back on we might look yeah. back on it more fondly and remember the good things than even the terrible Yeah, and time just has is. a way of dulling the details, you know. Yeah. So it was making examples of like people who lived through the Great Depression and people who lived through World War II and even the Vietnam War and all these different things. The crash of 87, the stock market crash and people lost yeah. everything. And then once you recover, then it's kind of like, oh, did that really happen? So anyway, I thought it was an interesting headline and probably a great article for those who yeah. read it. <laughs> perspective because honestly I think about you know in all of this people keep comparing 
the economic crisis to 2008 will it look like that why it's different is can you even compare the two because they're two totally different things and to be honest like looking back at 2008 I barely remember that affecting me whatsoever because we were we were in college coming starting to come out of college yeah I had no money so it didn't really make any difference to me we weren't buying a house it was like we're moving to LA so when I look back on that time other people's lives were just falling down around us but I had no clue because that was just not the time of life we were in yeah so that's what's it's everyone it'll be interesting to think of like what I'll think about this time 10 years from now and like say what our kids are gonna think about it 10 years oh yeah I mean for the kids they're probably just gonna be like oh yeah we were just home forever and like I just remember being on the trampoline forever and like these kind of things (laughs) whereas the rest of us and and it it, it, of course it's gonna vary based on the person the people who have lost people like their entire lives this is gonna have a obviously bigger impact long term but um yeah yeah, I'm like this is becoming like a new normal I don't feel ready for uh going back to real life I obviously want to but I don't feel yeah I don't feel prepared it's gonna be interesting I feel like we're all gonna become way more homebodies than we ever were before (laughs) I think so. I, I think, you know, when I go back into the world and I can spend five bucks here on, you know, a latte easily and take that trip to Target and buy the things I don't need, I really think I'm going to behave differently. I think I'm going to be like, do I actually need this? No, I, I actually so do not. I think so, too. Like, I have done a little bit of spending on a few items just this last week or two that, like, I would have done before, but, like, part of me feels like because we're saving money, I'm like, ah, what's a little... They've all been, like, these little sales that are happening all the time right now because everybody's trying to, like, still sell merchandise. Yeah, and I mean, we'll see how long it lasts, but, yeah, I think consumer behaviors will be really different. Mine have been really different already. Like, I've been meaning to buy a new violin bow for mm, two years. Yeah. And I just never do. And I did today. I bought a new violin bow. Nice. Online because I could. And I was like, I have extra money. I never buy things like that because I'm like, I already spent too much frivolous money this week. Yeah. And I don't play violin for any other reason except to like try to remember playing it when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah. I can't wait to hear you. You are not gonna. But on that note, (laughs) speaking of hearing things, thank you for hearing us. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you. I wasn't even looking for it. It presented itself. Thanks, Brittany. Mm -hmm. Um, If you haven't yet, please leave us a review. Please share us with a friend. And this, listen, I'm going to call out our listeners. Are you ready for this, Brittany? I don't know if it's too soon. I've got a little liquid uh, courage. I've had... um, a little sangria over here. So I'm going to call y'all out. Those of you who keep DMing and texting <laughs> and calling us with your feedback on the podcast, if y'all don't start commenting it on Instagram and putting it in the <laughs> review box <laughs> on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to kill you. No, that's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, you know what? You guys were amazing at the beginning and gave us all kinds of reviews. So we appreciate those. And we've talked about reading some of them on here. It feels very like, ooh, look how cool people think we are, but also like, thank you. But I think feel like we need another push that like we've kind of in this whole pandemic. I don't know who's listening at this point. But if you are and you enjoy us and you haven't rated us yet, please do. We would yes, totally please appreciate do. That. But yeah. also, I, I'm really just like calling out like people who uh, I I don't know if it's that we talk about things that other people don't want to be known, like they don't want other people to know they're <laughs> listening to. Sure. Which is so sure. maybe it's a compliment that people aren't engaging like, publicly. Yeah, yeah, they're like me- they're DMing and they're 
privately texting and these kinds of things. So maybe maybe it's a compliment. Maybe we're so edgy, Brittany, that people we're don't so want to publicly, yeah, talk about it. And if so, then hey, I understand. They're like, did you listen to what the hell? Yeah, and then they're like, <laughs> I did too, and like. Totally. Yeah. No, but really the reason I say that is because you guys have sent the most thought provoking and funny and observant uh, messages. And so we would love just to engage other people who might be having the same thought that you're having because we certainly are. (laughs) And we know you. Yeah, we know who's listened, who's texted us. And I know who's left reviews. So do it. Come on, support me. (laughs) (laughs) Support your friends. All right. So, yes, we appreciate that. Um, So this week, Brittany, you had the, I think, the best idea of something to talk about. For you, it's very timely. And for me, it's a bit of memory lane. Yeah. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk about what the hell is going on behind the scenes of reality TV. And honestly, this was a whoop whoop. this was inspired um, from Curtis, actually. He listened to our last episode, and after he listened to it, he was like, when you and I were both talking about the casting on uh, Too Hot to Handle or Love is Blind, what, or not Love is Blind. I think listen um, to Your Heart. Listen to Your Heart, one of the dating mm-hmm. shows. Um, <laughs> he was like, you know, I was really interesting as you kind of did a little tangent there about Tiffany talking about the casting process, and it'd be really interesting to hear you guys talk about talk more about that. And I was like, you know what, that's, that's a good idea. I think on our list of episodes at one point, we had said we'd talk about TV or ethics of TV or something. So it's something similar to that, and it's fun. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, I think what we're going to do is take you through, um, you know, Tiffany worked in casting. Um, I I don't know if you can say back in the day. It wasn't that long ago, but a few years ago. It's almost been three years since I've been out. Yeah. And right now I currently work in uh, reality television as a story producer. So, you know, we can give you a little behind the scenes info and just kind of take you through that process you may not realize like how tv is made and from start yeah. to finish yeah and especially and again this is about reality tv i mean scripted is a bit different and when we say scripted versus reality or unscripted it, it, depending on the show you're on people may or may not call it reality if they're feeling <laughs> real like um what's the word i'm trying to think of like a nice word i know i was trying to think of a nice word too like Okay, this I don't know. I this say is like between. haughty, but sure. I was gonna say highfalutin. So yeah. if they're feeling very like highfalutin about what you do, you might call it unscripted, or depending on the type of the show, a docu series. Whereas the rest of the world is just calling it reality. Yeah. Um. And yeah, if it's a I dating technically show, work on a docu series, but sure, <laughs> sure, sure you do. <laughs> so we'll explain a little bit about that. We'll try. I think do our best to explain jargon that we use as we use it. Yeah, um, because there's plenty. Uh, there's still like, I mean, I was in pre-production, which means before the show is produced. And Brittany is in post-production with a bit of you still do some production is some in production, there too. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, different. Uh, it's like a linear situation most of the time that happens. And it starts with the pre-production casting process. But before that, there's development. So like, we're yeah, not, oh, even, true. We're not yeah. even, you know, getting into all of that. But yeah, um, I think what we'll do is kind of start with what uh, we talked about beforehand, Brittany, which is the process of how a reality TV show 
is made or a docuseries, something like that, versus scripted. Scripted being, again, wow, I went on a major tangent to get back to no, here. No, that was, you were doing scripted great. Scripted yeah, <laughs> would following. pertain to when you think of like a fiction book. It's the equivalent of a fiction book when you think of a scripted show. So, you know, the Dawson's Creeks, the scandals, mm-hmm. the CSIs, all of those are scripted. Everything that has real people, whether or not they're being produced, is reality <laughs> and unscripted. Yeah. There you go. Yes. That's a great, that's a great uh, intro to that. So the three main sections of making a television show is, as Tiffany said, pre-production, then you have production, and then you have post-production. And I know they all sound similar, but basically one happens getting the show prepped, like casting and getting who's going to be on the show and how are we going to do the show? What's the show idea? Then somebody picks up the show, decides to put money into the show. We have production. Then after they have shot the show, as in use cameras to capture whatever they're shooting, then you have post-production. So to kind of go into that a little further, maybe we'll have Tiffany take us through the casting process. And we're going to kind of speed through this initially, and then we're going to go back through and kind of break down our experience and what that might look like. Because some of, like in, in all of these different parts of production, uh, there's so many roles and so many like uh, so many details so even what I do is just one little part in a huge machine and what she did in casting is one part in a huge machine of casting mm-hmm. so why don't you take us through part of pre-production and kind of see how things start my pleasure Brittany so <laughs> as I said there's the whole development process which we're going to kind of skim over a little bit but somebody comes up with a concept for a show they may or may not cast for that development project and create a sizzle. A sizzle is used to sell a show. So, you know, I have an idea. I want to make this thing. So I might put a little casting reel together. Well, that's not accurate. I put a little cast together, create a sizzle reel, and sell it to, hopefully, if it's any good, sell it to a network. Then the network decides we're going to make this show. The first step is it goes to casting, the real casting, for Mm -hmm. whether they're casting for just a pilot. Sometimes things only get the green light for the pilot alone. Sometimes they get the green light for the whole season, which is ideal. So you have to cast that part of the show. And what that means is you essentially are auditioning people. Um, They call it interviewing in the casting world uh, because they're real people. (laughs) They're not, you know, actors or performers. But They were auditioning. Yes. So your job as a casting producer is to interview these people. You have typically when a show is starting out, um, if it's like season one per se, uh, it'll have a pre-prescribed list of questions that you ask somebody to put together a casting reel for that person. Yes. So Brittany wants to be on, let me think of a show that I did. Brittany wants to be on Dating Naked. (laughs) Oh, yes, I do. My <laughs> dream no, come true. <laughs> <laughs> which is no longer a show, but it was wildly popular. So Brittany wants to be on Dating Naked, so she submits to the show. I reach out to Brittany, and I get her on the phone. I do what's called a pre-interview with Brittany. Did you want to get into it this detailed first? Go for it. Let's just do it. You're here. Let's go for it. Okay. I'm like, I'm getting really detailed. Maybe you're You know what? I, like to... I feel like it's hard to... I was thinking that, like, oh, we'll just speed through, but it's like, it's also hard to not give some details... And we can circle back. Um, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I was more meaning to say is like 
we're going to say a lot right off the top and it might be confusing, but we'll circle back and maybe yeah. expand. So go Yeah, for it. totally. So let me just go through the process and then you can go through the process of... Totally. Okay, you know what? We're going to hand over the baton right in the middle, Brittany, because I did do a little field production. So right in the <laughs> middle, I'm going to hand it to you and you can run with the rest. I, I got it. I will take it and run with it. Okay, great. It's a relay. So uh, where was I? So uh, Brittany wants to be on Dating Naked. I do a pre-interview with Brittany. And what I'm doing in that pre-interview is deeming according to the criteria for the show which is typically in a list form like the network says this is what we want and then the show heads for casting say this is what we need you to find and then you go out into the world and try to find it if you're lucky you get submissions if you aren't lucky you have to do what's called outreach which is where you go online or by word of mouth gorilla whatever style and you stalk people to find what you need for a show. And you sometimes are in a situation where you have to convince them to do the show. And sometimes you're in a situation where they're dying to do the show. Yeah. Those are the ones you want to be casting. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, again, back to the pre-interview. You have a phone call with somebody and you get their story. You find out if they first off meet your basic criteria. So if a show on Dating Naked, whatever the case is. Give us an example. Yeah. Sure. So on Dating Naked, you know, they wanted people and I don't remember. I mean, I did that show for four years ago, I think now. So I'm going to make something up. I don't want to hear from you, VH1. Okay. (laughs) From what I recall, it was something like this. So women could be from the ages of 23 to 35, for instance. Mm -hmm. And those things exist. They'll say 23 to 35 this is true behind the scenes yeah this is this guy you're getting this is the, the real the details deal. you mm-hmm. really are because they'll pretend on certain shows that oh no we don't have a cap and like you could be any age you could be any whatever no they have something they're looking for and they want you to find it does that mean if you're 36 and they're looking for somebody up to 35 uh does that mean if you're 36 we're not going to look at you at all maybe maybe not it depends on if you fit the other criteria and how well how hot you are for a show like that, that's exactly what it depends on. <laughs> it just depends on the show. So uh, the pre-interview is me vetting you. I'm going, is this person, first off, who they say they are? Do they want to do the show? Or are they going to be a waste of my time in the sense that if it's a risque show, if I get you on board and you're going to do this show, and then uh, you know, two weeks down the line, you're going to go MIA and ghost me. I'm never going to hear from you again. I'm vetting you in that moment to go, is this person worth my time? Yeah. So, which just to, I, I'm going to keep, let you keep going, but like just that is like how much psychology yeah. is going into this. Like, there is so much psychology. It's so, it's so crazy. funny you said that. There's so much psychology. So, the great, the thing about being a casting producer is you, you, there's a few different things that make you a good casting producer, but one of them is you, you have to be a great conversationalist and you mm-hmm. have to have like self awareness about who you are for sure. But, seeing how somebody else can see themselves mm-hmm. and what you can get them to see about themselves that they may or may that's not so interesting you yeah, have to be yeah. able to read if somebody's producible so that's yeah. something big too is you're always going is this person producible do they fight me on every question I ask them are they likable or not likable are they you know so you are talking to people and figuring out what their archetype is as it might fit into the show yeah so that's in the pre-interview you got to get so much out of the way there then you do an interview again and the second time it's on camera so uh, it may be in person, but typically it's over the internet. You like Skype with somebody, you Zoom with them, you FaceTime, whatever, and you record the interview. And then it goes to a casting editor who cuts that into a reel that is then presented among a bunch of other applicants, auditioners, interviewees, whatever you want to call them, to the network. And the network yeah. makes the final decisions on who makes it onto the show, typically. So 
there's a lot of control that you have as a casting producer and you also have none. So you really act as a gatekeeper to find what the network wants to be on the show. Totally. And we'll talk in a lot more detail um, in the little Q&A we'll do with each other later. But um, there's a lot more that goes into that and it's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> no, your job is like super hard and I don't know that I could ever mm. do it. It's like it's, stress- I think- it's a stressful job. Yeah, I think there's shows where I'm like, oh, like you said, if they were just you're sorting through applicants, like you take, say, the biggest loser once it's been on the on the air for six years and now everybody wants to be on it. Yeah, sure. You're like, just like, who who do I pick? But then when you're casting like a new show and you're trying to sell people on the idea and you have no idea if it's going to be hit or miss, like that's it's you're basically a salesperson, which is so hard. Mm Yeah, it's yeah. exact. That's exactly what one of my biggest issues with it was. Was I felt like I was working in sales, and on you know, depending on the show, it's an easy sales position. It's like the commission's just rolling in, and the commission mm-hmm. in this situation is the cast. Yeah. But on other shows, you know, they're asking people in casting make jokes about it, but you know, they're asking for a unicorn that was bred with a gnome and is from Antarctica and has been to Mars and can really sing well. Yeah. Like, it sounds absurd, but that is the kind of ask that comes up. It's insane. And so lots of times in casting, it doesn't always have to do with skill. Um, Sometimes it has much more to do with luck. No, totally. Take a swig. I see that. Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm going to take a swig. And then I was like, oh, is it going to be me? Yeah. Brittany was like, oh, my God. Is she expecting me to talk now? Do I have to talk? I don't think I can drink. (laughs) And uh, oh, oh, no. Okay, me. Okay, cool. It got right to her lips, guys. (laughs) It just felt like, you know, when you know the rhythm of the, you know, the rhythm of our conversation. I was like, oh, it's going to, it's going to be, oh, it's too late. Too late. (laughs) Yeah. The rhythm of the night. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. The rhythm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so oh. that is um, casting in a very small nutshell. Um, any of my former casting producers, friends, show leads that I've worked with, I know I left things out and you probably hate me for it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm mega truncating uh, to get into uh, production, which is yeah. after the show has been cast, they go into the field, as they call it, and actually shoot the show. They film the show with the people who have been cast on the show. Yeah. So those are some long hours, man. Typically in production, you work like 12-hour days. There are a lot of laws for people in production that don't exist for casting. It's quite interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And neither of us, you've worked. I did field produce. You did field produce, yes. Yeah. I did one show, and I faked it until I made it, girl. Yeah, yeah. Wait, was that the Boston one? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was great. It was such a great experience. I jumped into the deep end and told everybody I could swim. But you know what it was? They thought I could swim. They were just like, yeah, she can swim. So they just. And then then you did it. And you swam. Because you're a badass. Thanks. (laughs) It is one of my prouder moments in life. Yeah. I I was very (laughs) proud of you for that. I remember that. That was a big deal. Yeah. So production, that's kind of the, the middle step of the whole thing. Yeah. So they're so putting the show in? together. Yeah, you can dive in. They're putting the show together and deciding, you know, yeah. what is going to go to post-production to be put together for the actual show. Yeah. So, like, basically with production, which I've only, I haven't had tons of experience in it. I've I've had a lot of experience on, like, short little things, like a commercial or, like, a little short film, but not in, like, a I'm yeah. on a series 
12 hours a day like I've not done that before and production can look all sorts of ways like we have a friend that has worked on a live audience sort of show Mm -hmm. where you know it it has so many different parameters than say a show that I'm working on right now where it's a small cast and small crew and they do have some longer hours but it's not crazy and then you're gonna get like these huge live audience shows like American Idol or like whatever fill in the blank so I mean it's all over the place just like any job you're gonna get some jobs in television in general that have great hours because it's a pretty consistent maybe a long-running show that just knows how to run the machine and other shows especially like the new first I guess like a first season show you know it depends on the network and like it could be all over the place but then so you take production they've shot everything and then what happens in post-production which is where I have mostly worked we basically get the footage and once we receive the footage we have somebody that's called an assistant editor or as we call them an AE and that person ingests the footage so basically they process it they prep it so that it's ready for us to look at and so then after that basically it will go to a story assistant or someone like that and Basically, they will process it and see, you know, where it needs to go in the project. We work in uh, different kinds of programs. The the program that's mostly used across the board right now is Avid Media Composer or um, Adobe Premiere. Those are the two most common. So they are making sure it's like put in the right place in the project that we're all going to work out of. And then after that, we'll take that footage. And normally, like on a show, depending on the show, you know, they shoot even though it's not scripted there's scenes there's different segments and me as a story producer I will take the footage from that specific scene or segment and basically try to create a story out of it because unlike what you end up seeing like say on The Bachelor or something you see like a whole scene happen but that could have been from like you take night one of like the bachelor bachelorette and then meeting a million people that's like hours and hours and hours and hours of footage with dozens of cameras dozens of people that has to all go into a two-hour episode and people had to process all of that sort through what's interesting and that's kind of what I do is taking a section of it and truncating a very large story into something that's manageable um, something that's interesting and that usually is a combo of raw footage so that's just like what we would call reality which is like hey you picked up a camera and followed somebody around it's what's happening right then and then we have things uh with interviews and so that gets cut between the two you have your reality your reactions the interview bites so all of those are shot and you and basically as a story producer we put all of that together into a much longer what we call string out string out is basically just a series of footage and interviews cut together in an editing program and then we hand that to the editor to then finesse and add sound effects and music and just make it look prettier add some b-roll which is like other footage of around say if we're going to use the bachelor as an example like you know the front of the building or like people talking or whatever they zoom in on the flowers yeah exactly so things to cover whatever so then once we get it to an editor and they have gotten it to the place where they feel like it is presentable then we start screening it we screen it with our executive producers it goes through so many rounds of notes which notes just mean that they give feedback on the episode things that we have to change 
all sorts of things. It goes through executive producers, owners of the company, network executives. Then when it's all good to go, we got the green light, then it goes to what we call like the online process. So what I do is technically, if we're getting really technical here, is offline. And then we go to online, which is when they take all the footage, they up-res it. So we work with low-res footage, they up-res it so it looks nice and pretty again. And then they do the color pass, they do the sound pass, and then there's a whole other series of notes and things like that before you ever get to see it on your television. So that is a very long process that if you're still here with us, (laughs) that is how you make reality television in like, not a nutshell because it wasn't very short, but like, yeah. Yeah. And that's only in, again, skimming over, like, production, which is, like, the thing that makes the show get made. Like, we really exactly. talked about that so lightly. Um, there's a lot yeah. more that goes into that, but um, which I'm sure we'll hit on here and there. But, Brittany, well done. Thank you. We're, Bravo. But we're also, like, hitting on the things that we are most familiar with. So, sure. at some point, exactly. we can have somebody come in and, like, I'm not going to start to talk about production on a show like, say, The Bachelor when I have no idea what the hell no. goes into Which is that. so funny because um, it's funny you mentioned Bachelor, Bachelorette, because the one show that I feel produced um, outside of, again, like you said, like digital stuff and things like that. Like, I mean, I've yeah. done a been on set and worked in, like, on, you know, like the fun yeah. stuff a million times over. But this was the one TV show that I went and yeah. field produced. Um, my show lead on that was a longtime producer of Bachelor and Bachelorette. Like one oh, of the really? OGs. I forgot about that. So something that people bring out, uh, bring up quite a lot if they haven't worked in this field is they'll see a scene on a show and they'll go, oh, that was so scripted. That was so fake. That wasn't real. That didn't happen. Let me speak to that. It typically is real. Yes. It typically happened. Here's a couple of different ways it may have happened. (laughs) The situation may have been produced. And what I mean by that is the producers of the show may have created a situation in which this otherwise would not have happened. So last season of, uh, was a bachelor, mm-hmm. um, one of the girls on the show brought a special bottle of champagne and it got oh, drunk. Yes, yes. It got drunk. It had gotten drunk by another girl and the bachelor Peter. Yes. They didn't just go in the fridge and accidentally pick that bottle of champagne. No, that's not how it happened. It was not an accident. It was produced. And by that, I mean that some producer went and got that bottle of champagne And when Hannah Ann decided she was going to sit down with Peter the Bachelor and have that bottle of champagne, it was presented to Hannah Ann to do so. Yes. She did not accidentally come across that bottle of champagne. So in that sense, was it 100% real? Yes, the situation is 100% real, but somebody else. especially. Exactly. Yeah. To Hannah Ann, it was completely real. To the girl whose champagne was had, completely real. Yeah. To Peter, completely real. But the scenario was put into motion by someone else. Yeah. So that's the thing. Totally. That's a great point. So another thing that happens often is, for instance, even on the show that I did all those years ago, um, sometimes things happen when the cameras aren't rolling. That is great. Yeah. And they say something great. They do something great. And then when the cameras are rolling... We ask them sometimes to recreate what happened off camera. Yes. So sometimes things can come off disingenuous because it feels like they're acting because on some level. Because in a way they are. They are in a certain way. 
but it's they're because recreating they're it. recreating yeah. something that truly did organically happen. So those yeah. are a couple, those are just two among many ways that something might seem like it's scripted when it's not. Yeah. That it just, it does bug me. And like, you know, I'll be watching the show with Josh. She's like, that's not real. That's so fake. And I'm like, no, it is real. <laughs> it is real. Yeah. It's just somebody else set those wheels in motion for that to happen. But I will say on that note, and we can talk about this more if we want to divert or whatever, one way where it may not be entirely real is when we do something like what's called frankenbiting and woof <laughs> as somebody that works in reality television and watches a lot of reality television in terms of like bachelor types of shows you can hear it if you have an ear you can hear it happen where it's like you can hear the inflections not right you can hear that they cut something together that they probably didn't say right at that moment and that is a way that you kind of can produce in post-production and have somebody say something that they may or may not have said. Now, depending on the show, their ethics of how they go about that, uh, I don't know. It's probably a range of ethics going on. So basically, as I'm talking about a Frankenbite, you're chopping up. So like Frankenstein that was created out of bits and pieces, you're taking a interview bite or something that was shot in reality so like just sound and you're chopping it up in post-production and editing and making it say something that it didn't so even like something we'll just keep using bachelor as an example I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone a girl or or guy say I can I can imagine myself marrying him or her Mm -hmm. and all they they could have said I can't imagine myself marrying them all you have to do is re- remove that can't and they say I imagine them myself marrying that person it's so easy to do I can't tell you how easy it is and so those types of things are where I think some of the produced or fakeness can seem right. where that that uh, reputation comes from that's true and it can also they could also have been talking about someone else so lots 100%. of times and and this is really really common you know when you watch a promo again this is the, just the perfect show to refer to for things like this but bachelor bachelorette and you see them like you know wailing crying and then they'll put it with another sentence where they say something that seems like it's about the same situation and then you eventually see that episode and it was completely unrelated and they were wailing crying because they stubbed their toe and it yep. had nothing to do with not falling in love you know what I'm saying so there's a lot of situations like that and um I tried to read Frankenstein (laughs) (laughs) I just felt like you should know I started reading it and here's a fun little fact since we're just on it really quick Frankenstein it's actually Frankenstein is the creator of Frankenstein's monster so it's the same thing with like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde everybody thinks of like Dr. Jekyll is the bad one Mr. Hyde is the crazy one and it's Frankenstein's the good guy but Frankenstein means that. the monster. Yeah, yeah. Look at you just educating me. FYI, <laughs> just being an asshole over here. The more uh, you know. Cheers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Um, those are some really great points, Brittany. And here's a hot tip. When you guys are watching a show and you want to know, like, if something was a Frankenbite, typically one way you can figure it out is if the camera is not on the person speaking when you hear them speaking. Oh, yes. That's typically when a Frankenbite is happening because it's much harder to change their face where you can see their mouth than it is to just hear them doing voiceover for another scene or going into another scene, whatever. So that's really common. That's how you can yeah. start. You can start being educated in when Frankenbites are happening. Yes. No, that's a great point. A great point. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah. you can hear them. If you have a good ear, like if you're somebody who's musical or you do anything where you do do some editing, you can hear it. If you just yeah. pay attention, which is honestly, it's really annoying. Once you pick it up, then you just hear it all the time and it's kind of frustrating to watch and you have to kind of zone out. But you can hear them be like, I was so mad that da 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 And you're like, that was nobody not a sentence. Like <laughs> and then nobody cared enough in post to just like smooth it out. Because I've also sat in what we call onlines, which is when you're viewing it at the end to just like do any touch-ups, both in audio and visual and everything. And it's like, you can fix some of those. And maybe they're just turning these out so fast that they didn't care enough. Mm-hmm. Or whoever's in charge didn't care enough. But I'm like... That could have sounded better, but they just probably do it so often that they don't have the time to fix all right. of them. Like I, so. could you try to make it sound? Yeah, real? just like do better. <laughs> You're a network show. You have money. This could be better. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, um, I think you want to talk a little bit about how we got into this. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I got into reality TV by accident. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> kind of. Kind of by accident. I worked in book publishing before I was in reality TV, but there's not much book publishing out in Los Angeles. It's mainly in Chicago, New York, places like that. Um, and the little bit of book publishing that was out here was all like really, really niche. Yeah. So I kept uh, copy editing while I was out here, but I did not go to a publishing house. I was just working freelance. And at the time, I was married and he was a performer. And I had gone to a performing arts high school. So I was always really, really interested in um, the arts and production and all these types of things. And um, it was not like, you know, every school has its drama club. Mm-hmm. This was not that. The school that I went to for high school was pretty much like the equivalent of a college program for those four years. Um, you had to audition in. You had to continually audition to stay in. It was really, really rigorous. So I had that background where I loved performance art, theater, all these, all these things, which is a thing I say, all these types of things. <laughs> uh, so once I was out in LA for a while and I was missing like community and missing working with people because everybody I worked with, I worked with them online from a distance. Uh, I was talking with my ex at the time and like, you know, what are, where do my interests and my training and all these things converge? And I had studied journalism and a huge part of journalism is interviewing people. So I was having conversations with others. And at the time, um, scripted casting came up. Like, what if I wanted to scripted casting? And and another reason that came up is because I was always working with my ex-husband on, um, auditions for him so I was always you know running through sides with him which is jargon I guess for lines like reading lines with him yeah when we were talking about it it was really like oh you have a background working with people you've studied the arts you have an understanding of acting like you get it so why not go into casting so I did like some assistant work for scripted casting and I very soon found out that the money is not in scripted casting until you're at a very, 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 very high level. It's in reality. Yeah. So it was a complete divergence. But my journalism background really did serve me well in casting. It's interviewing. It's tons of writing, especially when you're at the lower level. So when you're casting associate, which means you work under a casting producer, you're responsible for so much. There's so much writing. You have to write what's called one sheets where Brittany is auditioning for dating naked and I have to write a whole, (laughs) basically a pitch sheet all about Brittany, things of that nature. So it really did. It made sense. And I, the first show I ever did was Wipeout. Oh, I forgot about that. Remember that show? It was 2012. Oh, yeah. was the first show I ever did. And that was the show with the big red balls. Yes. Where people would like, 
essentially do like a death obstacle course. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what it seems like. Yeah. And then immediately <laughs> I went from the fun stuff to the shitty stuff. Like the next show I did was about teenage brides. Oh, man, it's coming back to me. I know. Those are my early, early days. It was so hard. We had to find people actually getting married that were underage. It was so stressful. Oh, and the oh thing was, here's a little BTS on that, is if you want to find a really, really young underage person who's getting married, they don't have good internet. <laughs> That's a very good point. Oh, my God. It, it was so hard. I cannot tell you how many times I did interviews in Starbucks and McDonald's with these people. <laughs> that sounds horrible. I'm like, these people. But I just mean, like, these people I was casting on the show. Yeah, um, that makes sense. They the just didn't have good internet. Yep. So that that's a little... <laughs> It was horrible. I was Behind like, what am I doing? Scenes. And yeah. just speaking to my own issues with that, I was at the time I would have been 25-ish, I think. Yeah, I would have been 25. And I thought they thought I would be good for the show because I got married young. I got married at 20, but I wasn't a flipping teen bride. Yeah. And But anyway, they thought I could maybe connect with people because I did get engaged young and all that. And I did. I found people for the show. Believe it or not, we cast <laughs> that show. It was so hard, but we did. And um, I had a lot of... I had issues with it though, because I wanted what I really wanted to do as a person was talk these kids out of getting married. Yeah, that's but, so hard. Yeah, I was stuck in a place where no, I I need them to get married. Yeah, <laughs> to keep like keep my job, I need these people to get married, and it, I really struggled with that, like just from a yeah, an ethical like an ethical yeah, that's hard. It was. Oh, I like I know, all these years I, later, I'm still struggling with it. There's no way any of them are still married. Like not a chance. Have you ever looked them up to see? Uh-uh. Not since the show aired. And the show didn't air for years after we cast it. We cast it in 2012. I think it didn't air till like, 2014 or 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, whatever. They could have already been married and divorced by that point. Oh, yeah. They could have been married, had two kids, and divorced by that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know. That is the weird look. thing. I mean, I'm sure everybody knows this at this point, especially with the internet, is, like, most of the shows that both you've cast or even, like, shows that I'm working on right now, there's stuff we're shooting, and it depends on the show. But, like, the stuff we're shooting on my show, like, you won't see for, like, a year. Because it's just, it's not even that it takes that long. It's just kind of how it works out and when it's scheduled to be, to air. Or, like, for example, take Love is Blind, which is a huge hit. I mean, that they did, like, a year before we ever saw it. They passed it two years ago. Yeah, it's just crazy that the time difference and I think mm-hmm. again we keep referring to the bachelor but like now people kind of know they're they have a crazy fast turnaround and even still it's like by the time it airs it's been several months but like it takes a long time to get stuff through especially with the amount of cameras and footage and everything that they go through so it does and not um, to mention if you have any casting like dropouts and things like that so sometimes yeah, you can cast yeah. an entire show say the budget gets pushed back for some reason and they can't start shooting when they originally decided to well that gives the cast time to sit around and decide do I really want to be on tv yes or no yeah. and then lots of times people will fall out and they'll change their mind and now it's time to shoot the show and now they got to do a new round of casting because these people dropped out totally so man it's a whole like time is of the essence yeah time is absolutely of the essence especially yeah. when you're doing especially- things like especially you're naked. doing risque uh, unethical shows <laughs> i know i will you before we did this tonight i i meant to and i didn't i got carried away with like my current job but i was gonna bring up uh my resume like my last resume to see how oh, like all idea. the shows that i did and i need to do that later maybe we'll put it in the show notes or something but oh, yeah I, I think i did like 60 shows 
Whoa. I think that's so. That's a great, I need to go yeah, you should definitely do that. You should I have the list. I have the list. I just need to go look at my resume. I remember it getting so long that like even in the smallest font. Which is a great problem to have. <laughs> yeah, it's a great problem to have, but it's a completely different resume from anything else in the entire world. Like <laughs> yes. a TV that's person's a, oh, That's resume. its own thing. Like you talk about resumes. We'll just comment on, for two seconds about that. But like, you know, you come out of college and you're like, have a great degree and all these things. And you did all these amazing college jobs and you have this very professional resume and then you come out to LA and you want to be like a production assistant or fill in the blank in the I'm saying the television world specifically the resumes look so different like Curtis's editing Mm -hmm. resume it's just like here's a list of credits nobody cares who where you went to school nobody cares when you went to school people just want to know can you do the job do you have some diversity in terms of like the things you've worked on great hired Yeah, Yeah. totally. They like to know, um, and even more than the show in a certain way, depending, again, but lots of times they're looking at the network. Yeah. Like on your list, it's like you put in your title on the show that you did, the seasons that you did of the actual show, and then the network that it was for. And lots of times you're just scanning down that. The worst, I just want a little fun fact, the worst network that I eventually ended up, I believe I took it off of my resume because I was so embarrassed about it. Tell me. I did a show. Sorry, mom. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Is it? What is it? What is it? What is I it? I did a show for Playboy TV. Oh, that went totally opposite of what I thought you were gonna say. What did you when think? When you said sorry, when you thought when you said sorry, mom, I was like, are you gonna make fun of TBN? Did you cast something for TBN? No, she'd be but thrilled. But you went Playboy all the way, so <laughs> damn girl. <laughs> Playboy all the way. I did a show I called. Forgot about that. I did a show called The Cougar Club. <laughs> and it was I don't even think it made it to air I honestly don't remember it's been so long but uh that is one of my <laughs> my lowest lows <laughs> and this is coming from a person and the reason why is because even then I still like went to church and things like that yeah. I don't care so much anymore and it wasn't even honestly it was not the raunchiest of shows to be yeah. quite honest it was just like bodacious bodied like 50 and 60 year old <laughs> women who were you know on their second divorce and are looking for a 25 year old guy and it was very real yeah. housewives it wasn't even that bad it was just I that, like, like the word bodacious they were I bodacious like that. <laughs> <laughs> but that that for a long time I took it off of my resume I don't even think playboy tv is still a thing I don't know yeah I have no idea no I couldn't idea. tell you <laughs> <laughs> oh well I can tell you a little bit about how I got into tell us how you did I feel like it's similar to you in the sense of stumbling into it. I never, my heart was never set on the television world. My heart was never set anywhere. I didn't, I don't ever know what I want to do. But, you know, because we ended up in LA because Curtis wanted to be in television and he was working in TV, um, he actually got to start in casting editing. Uh, he never had to do the whole production assistant thing. So I'll, I'll give a little side note since it leads into what I did. But a production assistant is, is like kind of the bottom, it, it's the, the lowest position. It's like the starting line for everybody usually. Right, PA, which we say PA, PA. and in another field, it means some, PA means something different from what yeah, it like means for us. physician's assistant or something, whatever. Right, or um, personal assistant. Or personal assistant. That's really yes. common. In, in TV, it's production assistant. And that could be across the board. There's like, you know, you have production, like pre-production, you have actual production we have post-production so anyways um Curtis was in working in television I was teaching at the time and I don't even know it's a long story to kind of get to why I jumped into it but basically at the point where I decided I had stopped teaching I had stayed home with the kids and decided 
you know, I'm surrounded by people who are super creative and it seems fun, seems interesting. Why not try it when I really had no passion about anything in particular? Like, why not? And I had connections, which is a huge part about anything getting jobs out here. I mean, it is as cliche as they say, like it helps to know somebody. And so basically I at some point decided sure, I want to go back to work full-time. I had a connection through Curtis at a company, and I just reached out to somebody that I knew and was like, hey, I'm willing to start at the bottom. I think I was 28 at the time, and I was like, I'll be a post-production assistant. I don't care. And typically those jobs, it could be anybody from an 18-year-old who didn't go to college to like, more typically out here would be like a 22-year-old who maybe went to college and is whatever, went to film school or whatever. And I was like, I'll do whatever. So I started at the bottom and slowly as I worked in the production office, I kind of, you get to do a lot of things in that job. And um, I don't know, I just started learning, you know, all kinds of different aspects of the job to see what I'd be interested in. And I was mostly always in post-production. And so from that, I moved into... I don't actually know the timeline of this, but at some point I decided that I wanted to learn how to edit. I can tell so, you. Oh, you could tell me. I'm sure you can because you know my life better I can, than I, I do. I can tell you when you decided you wanted to edit because it was the day Paul Walker died. How do you know these things? Because I had decided like one week before that I wanted to learn to edit and we went to the Getty. It was me, oh. you, Curtis. I feel like your sister was there. This comes back. Oh, I totally remember this. Yeah, I think Brooke was with us. And we went to the, I think so, we went to the Getty and we were sitting outside and I think you had gone into the bathroom and Curtis, I had like just brought it up to him like a week before and we're sitting outside and Curtis was like, Brittany brought up today that she wants to learn to edit. And I was like, no way. Because <laughs> I was like, that's, I had just like brought it up to him the week before. It's like, that's so cool. And then we're sitting there and we got a text message from Florida that Paul Walker had died. Like we thought, and I was I like. I totally remember this. Isn't that horrible? Oh my god! And I, love I would have Paul totally Walker. forgotten that memory if you had not brought that up. Like that's yeah. one of those. It was November of 2013, so we sat outside and we talked on the patio at the Getty about TV editing and Paul Walker. Oh wow! Okay, so then this was okay. Well, then I need to backtrack because this was way before I went to be a PA. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Like so, okay, that makes. More and sense. you started using Linda to learn editing, uh, yeah. like right after that. Yes. So I had started. Yes. So Linda, I was like, I don't remember at what point I started doing that. But Tiffany, (laughs) she remembers my life better than I do, which is amazing because I don't I'm terrible. Um, But yeah, I used I never went to school for editing or post production or anything like that. I used uh, I decided to get on Linda.com which I think is now owned by LinkedIn. Mm. And I signed up for like, I think it was like $24 a month if you don't want their extra files or like $30 a month if you want their full package, whatever. And I just did it for a few Brittany months. Brittany wanted the full package, let me tell I you. I did. I do highly recommend, not a sponsor, but I don't know what their <laughs> prices are now, but I recommend the full package because then you could actually, <laughs> you can like, actually do what they follow what they do on the screen anyways yes. side note um but yeah I learned to edit in like the simplest way started doing some like free little side projects on for, like literally through Craigslist I was like oh you have a student film you want to be edited sure I'll do that and so I did several of those and then became a PA and just started kind of working my way up 
I mean, at some point in there, we moved away to Kansas City. That's a side note. And while I, like, throughout the time, I've always helped Curtis on sizzles and then, like, a little bit of assistant editing, things like that. Then when we came back to L.A., I basically came back to a company and worked as a production co- or a post-production coordinator, which, again, it's all on the, the post side of things, the post-production side of things, where it's all to do with it's like the not sexy side of television where you think about like we'll just keep referring to bachelor you think about everybody that goes on that show has to sign a release everything that you show on that television screen has to be released and so there's a million releases that go into it there's so much like just fine details it's like that super go administrative right very administrative yeah so not creative and honestly there's a huge part of me that loves that side of things but coming off of doing some more creative work, working in real estate, doing a, a variety of things, I realized I was kind of missing that creative itch. And so uh, I got the opportunity while I was working as a post coordinator to help on a show in a more creative way. And through that, I basically was able to move into a story producer role, which is not a it's a weird jump. It's a strange jump because it's like two different worlds um but because I knew people within that and I had kind of done it's a long story but basically moved into story producer role given my past experience from other things and just loved being more in a more creative space so yeah so question for you do you think you are extraordinarily self-motivated and you're educated in all these things but in your opinion for what you're doing now do you think that there's any type of like education or schooling that somebody should do to get into what you're doing? Or do you think that it's best to like try to learn on the job? Is there like a right way to do it? I don't know. I do think what I've learned from the fact that I didn't go to school for this and now I'm working in it. I don't think you need college, like a college degree to work in any of this. I think it's way better to get more hands on experience I mean I think what college does give you is just like life experience which I won't knock at all but I think in terms of the job I'm doing it would mostly be getting experience in the let me think of my thoughts I will say all of us that work in (laughs) post-production think of my thoughts let me think of my thoughts if you could just give me a moment to think of my thoughts just give me a moment to process um so what we always a lot of us say in post and I'm sure everybody that works in pre or production has things about post to say whatever but I will say in working in post I think it's super important to understand the post process even before you work in production and other things because what I think happens is people work in production and then it's like ah they're gonna fix it in post and you're like but if you don't understand what has to eventually happen and you can't fix that thing that you did and you think we can fix it or it costs a lot of money to fix that thing that you did I think it's a great place to start I would highly recommend anybody that wants to get into production or editing story producing start in post-production because you're going to learn so many valuable things that will take you wherever you need to go connections things like that in terms of schooling I think you can learn so much on YouTube, Linda, or LinkedIn, and and like just I would say try out something before you go spend tons of money on like film school. Like don't go do that before yeah. you try something out. I, the one thing I'll say about film school is I've met several people at work that went to film school and they do have amazing an amazing network. 
after school, which if I think is is kind of invaluable, but I also think it's not invaluable if it costs you like $60,000. So Right. I feel like there's like a, a very specific value you can put on that and it was $60,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I completely agree with you. Like most people who work in casting, for instance, or even production, m- most of them did not go to film school. Most. Yeah. Yeah. And even probably post. I mean, maybe there might be more in post with editors, but I don't even know if that's true. Yeah. I think everybody has this like maybe not everybody I keep generalizing, but like people get into this and like, for example, a lot of story producers want to be writers or a lot of editors want to be writers or people have this like end goal. Mm-hmm. For me specifically, I don't have this end passion. I'm just kind of curious about the process and just having a successful career and continuing to learn because that's just kind of how I function. I think my biggest advice would just be like, go work as a PA and work your way up, see what you like and yeah what you're drawn to yeah and there's like a whole thing about being a PA too really at any level but especially at like the PA level or when you're in casting like the casting associate level you have to strike a fine balance between being you have to be good at your job and you can't be too good at your job yeah or you have to be really outspoken because what happens is if you're like a really 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 kick-ass PA and there is a difference between like a shitty PA and a good and a good one Mm -hmm. the really 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 kick-ass ones huge (laughs) and sometimes their job is things like they're doing lunch orders and they're picking up crafty and things like this crafty is gonna say services which which is is snacks Snacks why don't we just call it snacks (laughs) i don't know i used to think it was like someone was talking about craft mac and cheese really fancy crafty well we smell it that way too though i don't know it's i know that's why i don't understand I, i do wonder where things like that started i don't know but if you are like a pa who consistently is like above and beyond the thing about being a PA is you just want to be above. You don't want to yeah. be above and beyond because if you're above and beyond, they don't want to promote you. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, they want because you are doing such a kick-ass job for them that they don't want somebody who's an idiot coming in and not doing that amazing job that you're doing. So it really is a fine balance and you just have to feel it out. And a huge thing too, I think is, and this is actually something I learned from a great friend of ours. I had worked in casting for years and had, I had worked in casting, I think for three-ish years and had just gotten promoted to producer, which sometimes you go from casting associate to junior producer to producer. Um, If you're lucky, you just go from casting associate to producer and the junior producer title really is just a way for people to get away with paying you less yeah um, I think it's actually extremely unethical from a business standpoint but um, that's coming from me <laughs> but uh, I had a good friend a great friend who went in she decided to go into casting and was a casting associate literally for like one show and one show and I did it for three years and she went to work one day and was like I'm not doing this she was like make me a casting producer or I'm not doing this like she just acted like it was so absurd that they would expect for her to continue being a casting associate and what did they do they made her a casting producer (laughs) and then she was forevermore and I just am uh naturally not that type of person I'm much more that way now um, yeah. Into my, it took me to my get to my thirties to be that way, um, and a lot of self help books, but <laughs> and a lot of but therapy. But I'm there now, and I think that's a that is a huge part of things, though, is making your intentions known in the workplace yeah. when you work in television. Hollywood is you yeah. have to tell people 
no, I'm not intending to stick at this level. I'm intending to do this. This is what I want for myself and and having that conversation. And it can sometimes be uncomfortable because there are people who didn't skip all the steps that you may want to or not necessarily skip steps, but did them for longer. And they might look at you and go, that's cute. Yeah. But you know what? There's another show out there and another production company and another network. And you can go over there and make the leap somewhere else so totally anyway and I think that's something as you're commenting on that it's a good thing to point out that something that's very cool which was what you're referring to is like you can you do these jumps in the television industry and and there's like the pay increases and the title increases and you know in a typical sort of corporate job you know it may take you I'm just going to give an example let's say you start at like fifty thousand dollars And then, you know, you work a year at the company, you get a 3% raise and you just keep working your way up. Or if I had stayed a teacher, you get like, this is your 20 year projection. And in the television industry, you know, you have the potential to go from a PA to an executive producer and however, I mean, again, that's lofty jumps, but like there's a path along that road and how quickly you take those steps is kind of up to you, how hard you work, how much you want it but you could make these massive jumps just by moving from show to show it's like oh you were this on that show or oh you made x amount of dollars on this show well I want this x amount of dollars on another show yeah and they might just be like okay like each each position that you work has sort of a range of pay and it's crazy how fast you can actually make these jumps now I will say you can make really good money in television but also there's the downfalls of that is that it's inconsistent work and you don't get any paid time off but benefits. the perks of that are you get benefits and things like that yeah yeah but you you know on the other side you can bounce around and have flexibility so it just kind of depends on your personality like when we yeah. first moved out and started doing this it it drove me nuts like I I think still at my core, I have a hard time with it, but like just knowing that like every few months we wouldn't know where our job's coming from. Now we're just used to that after doing it for a decade or Mm -hmm. over a decade, but there's also perks about it as well. Yeah, there definitely are. And I mean, something that I loved about being in casting is it's part creative and it's part, um, kind of administrative too yeah it's a little bit of both and that's I'm a very like pretty equally right brain left brain person and so I enjoyed that part of it the thing I didn't like about casting that made me not want to do it long term is the sales part of it yeah so I didn't like doing shows where I had to convince somebody to do something I did a few shows kind of like mid-career um where somebody would think they were signing up for one thing when we really knew they were signing up for something else. That's hard. It was hard. I didn't like things like that. And it really ethically bothered me. Morally, it bothered me. And then, you know, when somebody would ask what I was working on, I didn't feel proud to say, well, Mm. I fooled somebody today. So that means I did a good job. Yeah. That's what it would mean. Um, And then the other part of it being, it doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter how hard you work. Doesn't matter how educated you are. Doesn't matter, you know, if you show up every day and one person shows up one day and they like bailed every other day of the week. If you don't find the crazy, insane thing that the network is looking for, you didn't do your job. And so I am the type of person where I do like to be creative and, you know, I... I enjoy that, but I also need to see the benefit of my effort pay off. 
A hundred percent. I need to see that. And if I, and, and, and I always did. So to go back on that, I always did well in casting. I mean, I cast a ton of shows. I did it for almost six years and, um, you know, it went great. Like it went well, but I didn't sleep at night. (laughs) Like I, I took my work home with me so much and it was just so stressful. And, you know, you have so many hours in the day, but your work always goes home with you in casting. And so... I really, I was looking for something different for a while. I was ready to get out. And some people thrive in it. I know people who, they live for that, like, not knowing if they're going to find it or not. I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. How do you, so if somebody is interested in casting, how would they, like, what do you recommend them to do? Or how would they get started in that? Um, Well, I think um, Staff Me Up still gets used, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, Staff Me Up, it's a website, staffmeup.com, S-T-A-F-F-M-E-U-P dot C-O-M. It's kind (laughs) of like the LinkedIn for um, casting production, post-production work. And I think it's extremely useful. So it didn't come around until I had been doing it for a few years, but I think that's a great place to start. Just get on there. And then beyond that, honestly, meet somebody who works in the field and just get recommended. So that's what happened for me with casting is, um, the first show I ever did, I was referred by a casting producer who got my old friends onto deal or no deal. Oh, so the people who were on Deal or No Deal were like, oh, yeah, you want to get into casting? Talk to this guy. He put us on yeah. Deal or No Deal. And he went to Oasis, the church that we went yeah. to at the time. And he was like, yeah, just email me here and I'll just like send out your info to some people. So he sent out my info. And thankfully, I, I had a really this. Yeah, I had a really good resume for what I did at the time. So I actually went into casting coordination to begin with, which is the administrative side of casting. And then I switched from casting coordination to the other side, which is the actual like creative side of it. Um, I forgot about that part too, the coordination side. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I started in casting coordination. Uh, yeah. So honestly, like it's get into a market that has it. We did the same thing. I never thought about that. Yeah. But yeah, but casting, but totally we did. Um, But yeah, I mean, casting, but yeah. Get into an area where they have something going on. So like major markets, obviously, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Atlanta is huge. Um, Louisiana, like New Orleans area, huge. Orlando, there's quite a bit going on. Like there are these places you don't have to necessarily be in a major place like this Boston, huge in Boston. There's so much going on in Boston. Um, So if you're interested in it, and I think uh, referral is everything. It really is who you know in this town, unfortunately. And then you become the person that people know. Yeah. No, yeah. that's great advice. Yeah. That's great. Do you think if you were going to get ever go back to television, you would do casting again? Or is there another area that you would want to do? I feel, I mean, maybe I would go back into the field production part of things a little bit. The thing about the field producing that was so exhausting is you work, you know, 12 plus hour days um, every day, six days a week. And man, it's a lot. It was just a lot. I was yeah. exhausted. I lived in a hotel for 31 days. It's a lot, but there's also something thrilling about it too. Like every day, yeah. like you see your work is done and hopefully done well. And there's something thrilling about that, but I don't know. I mean, if I ever went back, I mean, may, I mean, I'm comfortable in casting, Yeah, but I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would go back. Yeah. No, that's all good. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Yeah. I mean, you didn't know that you were going to go in the story direction. Why did you go story and not like straight editing or something else? 
Um, I think I didn't go into editing right off the fat, right off the bat because that would require me going into a lot of detail and like being able to take it all the way to the end and I wasn't prepared for that yet. Plus there's like certain steps that you kind of have to take to get into that level. Um, editors are sort of seen as like on the higher tier of like being paid and like you don't just get to jump to a position like that. Um, and story producing, what I really like about it is like you get to be a part of building that story. I mean, I think in scripted, I don't know, I've never worked in scripted, but like you know, you already have the scene, you have the script, and it's already kind of built for you. I don't know what that position would even look like if that exists on that side. But in this, it's like, as much as it can be frustrating, you can be given this sort of documentary style scene and kind of go, well, what is interesting out of this? What do we want to show? And be able to build it into something that actually becomes something you see on TV. So there's something very satisfying about it. I like working in the little pods, like you do these little scenes and it's like, it's done and you move on and you keep moving forward, which I think from my personality, I've realized I really enjoy. It's like when I used to do a lot of furniture rehabbing or like painting of a room, just like there's something about this sort of before and after we're taking footage that looks like this and you're taking it all the way through and now it looks like a scene and there's something fun about that and collaborating with other people um I do think in the future I would like to do more editing because I I I like the music and like sound effects side of it all and so I don't do any of that right now with what I do um but it's been very satisfying it's been like a good jump for me and yeah I've enjoyed it so far yeah there are definitely things I missed about it I mean it for all the shows I hated doing which I would say honestly it was almost like 50 50 which sucks but like there's nothing more satisfying I think and this didn't happen enough in casting I don't understand why there's nothing more satisfying than watching like the first episode of your new show and seeing your name roll in the credits yeah it is very cool it's very cool it's really satisfying yeah I feel like I remember that with my, when I first got my like production assistant credit and then a couple different others and like just this last year was when I got my first um, story producer credit which is so really cool. cool to see yeah it's kind of like okay I'm finally moving on up and so you know. cool and I gotta call yeah. out I think I think who I have to call out on that is showrunners and editors for not putting in casting enough on oh yeah 100% the credits and I don't know why I mean I had been in casting for like two or three years years when I finally got an on-screen credit and you you really yeah I mean you get the credit obviously like it's on your resume you can put it on IMDB it staffed me up all these things but like it doesn't mean shit to you if you don't you know if you don't get it on the TV and your family doesn't take a picture of it and send it to you across the country and for some reason and I think the reason casting doesn't make it is obviously there's only so much time at the end but guess what there's plenty of freaking room there's room yeah cover somebody's face nobody gives a shit cover their face for casting I'm telling you right now and I think you're just so far removed because you're so pre-production that by the time it gets there they don't even know who worked in casting anymore but I think that's a huge problem and casting makes a show good casting bad casting there is a difference and you know lots of times I I will say how do you tell well you can tell (laughs) (laughs) lots of times it takes a a couple of seasons for a show to get its groove with casting because the first season nobody's ever heard of the show they don't know what it is they've never seen it because it doesn't exist yet so you're almost getting like "Eh, this 
in a certain way like mediocre. I wish there was a better and like I want to say bottom of the barrel but that's not the right thing you're also getting the top of it the barrel <laughs> because nobody knows what it is it's like you're scraping is how it feels and yeah. then when something comes back there's like notoriety you can refer back to it people want to be on it probably or maybe hopefully depending on the show that you're on um you can definitely tell I know we talked about it in last week's episode but I think like shows like Listen to Your Heart, I think that's a hard show to cast because you've got to be attractive. They want them to have story. They need to be a good musician on some level. And on last week's episode, honey, let me tell you how flat they were. Uh, and Sharp, <laughs> did you watch last week's episode? I did. When they were I singing did. on the boardwalk, it was horrible. It was rough. I know. Um, I know they probably didn't have amps like singing back at them, but you know what? Just like sing on key and then you don't have to need, you don't have to have an amp <laughs> where you hear yourself. That's an option That's too. <laughs> Are you um, talking about when they were on the radio? No, when they were on Venice Boardwalk. Oh, yeah. It He's got so a good bad. voice. I can't tell with her yet. She, he, his voice is fine. I think he's pretty weak. Well, his voice once they sang on the boardwalk sounded meh. Yeah, but when they, they did terrible. like a little practice run through, I yeah. was like, oh, and then, but then he didn't sound like that on the boardwalk. Totally. They sounded so bad. Yeah. I don't know. I was like, Maybe they were uh... just nervous and falling in love. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, also, no. Cat- he's 29 and she's 21 and I shouldn't judge, but like. I'm judging so hard. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. No. But he must be just a really immature 29. Yeah. That's what I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> um what else Britt is there anything I know else I'm trying to think if there's anything on? else um here's the thing there's so much to this like I would love to do a whole episode on like the ethics of it because there's so many things to it yeah. I mean even just like how my approach has changed over the years like I remember Curtis being offered a show way back in the day to edit or like junior edit or something. It was before he became an editor and it was like a huge opportunity and it was for some like MTV or something raunchier where it was sort of like a bikini or not like a girls gone wild sort of thing, but like sort of was risque. Was it Cougar Club? I don't know, but it sounds probably similar and he turned it down and I remember being so proud of him knowing that he like was turning down good money for something and now looking back, part of me was like, yeah. You should probably yeah. just take it in. <laughs> <laughs> I know it I is funny know. how your our perspectives change, but our perspectives change with our evolution as human beings too. Yeah, but that's why and... I think it'd be interesting to talk about the ethics because I think for me, I do think some of it has shifted and changes over the year. Ethics and morals, I would say. So that might yeah. be something to come back to. And honestly, you guys listening. Um, I can't even remember all of the different jargon lingo that we've used. So if there's things that like you'd like us to explain, like shoot us a message on yeah. Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Um, I mean, there's we could spend a whole many more episodes just on like going into detail about each thing. So if you're interested in a particular topic, let us know. But totally. I just thought it would be fun to. I mean, it's something that like we're surrounded by and. I don't no, know, it's nice. so fun. It's like, I mean, it's so glitz and glam, like from a distance. And in a certain way, it is here, too. I have an adorable little niece who loves all things Hollywood. And um, that's it's a fun thing to be able to, you know, tell her yeah. about things like this. And one of my other niece, I used to cast the show Naked and Afraid. And she thought that was just the coolest thing ever, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so there is there is something fun about it. It's something that affects all of our lives, mostly whether we want it to or not. Yeah. <laughs> it, it touches all of our lives on some level. So yeah, that was really that was fun for me, Brittany. That was fun for me too. Yeah, you know, I will say the last show I ever cast, I felt like I went out on a high in so, in a certain way. It was only a one season show, but the last show I did was Glam Masters for uh, Kim Kardashian. Which was the makeup artistry show. And one of the makeup artists on the show later went on to become Lizzo's current makeup artist. Oh, that's cool. Like serious talent on that show. So that was a nice that was a nice show to go out on. That's the thing. You're like talent scouts. You're finding people that end up being huge. Yeah. Well, depending on the show, sometimes you're just people scouts. Yeah. (laughs) But sometimes it is talent. And yeah. Yeah, and one I of the think girls it's changed from over that. the years with Instagram and like everybody oh, getting yeah. more, way more clout than they or whatever. Well, that was the thing too. Is like casting that show, they had to have a following, and some people blown up from it. One of the girls who was on the show, I think, did she win? Julia Dantis. She oh maybe she came in second. She won or she came in second. I feel so bad. I can't remember right now, but she was one of my favorites from the whole show casting process. I just adore her and I still follow her with everything she does. And mm. she's very talented, guys. Julia Dantis Beauty on Instagram. Go follow her. Worth it. That's cool. We got to talk about beauty soon. Yes. Oh, yes. That's coming up. <laughs> yeah. All of our money. skincare in our 30s. <sighs> this has been a delight. It has been fun. I'm sure there's so many things I feel like we probably missed or I didn't go into enough detail about, but I don't know. I'm also tired and it's it's only Monday <laughs> night and I'm Fair. like, I'm giving you my all, guys. This is me. I know. And this is quarantine. We're doing whatever the hell we want, baby. That's exactly right. You know what I don't want to do is go cook, but I gotta. Yeah. I gotta go, you know, look at, inspect those uh, baby feet where the skin keeps coming off. So, uh, nobody. Talk about our own feet. (laughs) (laughs) Did we talk about that on? I don't think so. Okay. They're going to be really confused. Baby feet. It's like a foot peel thing. Nobody's going to care. I'm going to just cut this out, but. um... (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) (laughs) But you do this peel, you put it on your feet. It's like a foot thing, mask. And then like a week later, your feet peel and all the dead skin comes off. It's great, but it's super weird. They shed like a Florida iguana. They do. And that is not an exaggeration. And also, I thought it wasn't working because I've done it before, but it was years ago. And I was like, it hasn't happened. And today, it's happening. It's happening. Hilarious. Pictures are are coming, but right now, it's gross. Oh my god. This is the most quarantine end to a conversation ever on a podcast. It is. We went from reality TV to I'm de-shedding my feet. <laughs> Hollywood. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm Tiffany. And I'm Brittany. And we will see you next week. I definitely almost said I'm Brittany. <laughs> it's Brittany, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I finished my sangria, clearly. Clearly.